Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Well, I want to welcome you again to our, our church community. My name is Dave, as I said a moment ago. I'm one of the ministers here. We're actually continuing a micro-sermon series, exploring favorite passages of Scripture, where, where we all get a chance to share what our favorite passage is. Last week, you heard Darren share one of his favorite passages from Isaiah 42.16. Next week, our student minister, Matt, is going to be sharing his favorite passage of Scripture. You actually won't want to miss it, so I want to invite you back for that. But between now and then... I have the privilege of sharing with you my favorite passage as well. Before I go there, though, I'd like to share a story with you. You know, it's actually kind of funny. From an early age, I've always wanted to be a pastor. And would you believe that at six years old, I had a thriving pulpit ministry? It's true. Actually, uh, if you can picture a a worship center with, with beautiful avocado 80s green shag carpet, and, and white walls rising above it, towering to a vaulted ceiling. Imagine the song, God is Good, playing in the background as bodies rustled into what would be a packed house for that particular morning. Everyone rustled in to find a seat. You could even hear the creaking of, of those old wooden pews as individuals sat down so close they were shoulder to shoulder. But the audience actually wasn't filled with people. See, they were filled with, with well-loved well-worn, wait for it, stuffed animals. (laughs) My parents weren't actually going to church at the time, and so as I thought there was something significant about, hey, buddy, (laughs) I thought there was something significant about worshiping God, about connecting with Him, about not simply just sitting around, and so I took my stuffed animals and I lined them up along the the front row of my bed so they could have a front row seat for what was about to happen. Then I would take my hamper, turn it upside down. That would become the pulpit. I would take an old blue Gideon Bible, open it up, and share an old fiery sermon with gusto. And let me tell you, my friends, it was a teddy bear revival. (laughs) Every furry critter had such an amazing response that there was not a single ounce of cotton that would seen hell on Judgment Day. (laughs) Now, I borrowed that last line. That's actually from a song called Teddy Bear Revival. That song was written by my friend Thomas about my childhood antics that I shared with him when we were in a band together when we were in college. If, If you happen to come to my office in the next few weeks, I'd love to play it for you sometime. Uh, That song even was picked up by a bluegrass band, uh, Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver. They recorded it and ended up on bluegrass radio. But it's funny how children, even from an early age, just like me, they want to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, you're probably sitting there wondering, what does that story have to do with your favorite passage of Scripture, right? The truth is, is that That has everything to do with my favorite passage because my favorite passage of Scripture is all about how what we do can affect other people around us, how we can make a difference, how we can leave a legacy in the lives of others, and and more than that, how our actions have the ability not only to make a difference, but how we can capitalize on those to leave a legacy of love and faith and grace. 
in, as I lined up those stuffed animals, I was doing what I knew how to do to, to try and invest in the lives of other people to make a difference there. They might have been just full of, of cotton, but the truth is, is that I wanted to pass on to them something of greater significance than anything else. What I knew was the love and the hope and the faith that came from walking with Jesus. We all want to leave some kind of legacy, don't we? And, and I believe that comes from the way God intentionally wired us. God designed us in His image and likeness. He designed us in such a way that we want to make a lasting impact in other people. Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it this way, that He designed us with eternity on our hearts. He designed us in such a way that we want to make sure that we pass on to other people something that has a lasting impact. So maybe for you, you want to leave a legacy of financial security for your children or for your grandchildren. Maybe you want to leave a legacy of rich memories where you have shared history together and, and as you look back over your lifespan, you're able to celebrate these rich memories that you had together. Whatever it is, we all want to do something that impacts other people and leaves a lasting impression in their lives. Well, this morning we'll look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, as Paul shares his lasting legacy of sorts. See, Paul didn't want to be remembered based on his knowledge, based on his achievements, based on his education. He actually shares in our passage for today that there was something much more important. He wanted to be known by his passionate pursuit of Christ, that nothing else quite measured up to that. And more than that, he shares with us and he shared with his audience that, that there is something about a passionate pursuit of Christ and building a relationship with him that enables us to leave a greater legacy with him than we ever could without him. With that backdrop in mind, let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I pray, Lord, that your peace would cover over us as we look through Philippians 3. Help us to understand at a greater level what it means to leave a legacy in others, to encourage them. Lord, I pray that you would help us even to know more what it means to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul wrote the book of Philippians as he was arrested in Rome, awaiting to, to face trial, looking to, to meet face-to-face -face with Caesar Nero. Some scholars think this was probably Paul's last letter, if not one of his last letters. And he saw, he was about to see Nero just six months before. Those historians, if you might remember, Nero was about to burn down Rome and blame the Christians in AD 62. Nero, he was not a nice man. He was actually a very mean man. Not only did he burn down Rome and blame the Christians, shortly thereafter, he would take Christians and put them on torches, use them to light his, his, use them as human torches, rather, to, to light his parties at night. He would take Christians and feed them to lions or have them play in barbaric games so they could be killed just for fun. He was a mean-hearted and sadistic man. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian community, knowing it very well could be his last words, to share with them something that he believed was of the utmost importance. And he actually started this church at Philippi. Paul was praying one night and his early missionary journeys in Acts, if you remember, where, should he, where he should go, and he had a dream from a man from Macedonia who came to him and said, please, come to our area. We need to know the gospel. 
And so with that, he actually went to Philippi, the, the largest city in that region, and met some people who didn't know Jesus, led them to faith in the Lord. And then here, he's writing a letter back to those people that he invested deeply in, that he led to the Lord and helped encourage and grow. And let's pick up as, as he writes to this community that he deeply loved in Philippians chapter 3. Starting in verse 7, Paul writes, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. As Paul wrote this passage, he immediately starts comparing and contrasting, using financial terms, quite literally. He's, he's accounting his life and saying, that what he once valued and thought was significant, that he'd built his life as a legacy for, he now cast aside. He considered that worth nothing compared to something of much greater value, and that was pursuing a relationship with Jesus and running after him. Paul, not only that, but then Paul wrote these words to encourage people that he dearly loved, men and women of the church of Philippi that he'd personally invested in, so that they would know that they could find something of greater value to base their lives on more than anything else. I actually love the book of Philippians for lots of reasons, but one of them is because you can actually feel the passion of Paul dripping from each word, from each page in this text. You can feel Paul's intense wanting to encourage other people to grow in their faith. But as Paul writes, he also doesn't sugarcoat the truth. I love that he describes the Christian life isn't always easy. There will be suffering. There is death. But you can find incredible hope in walking with Jesus in the middle of those things. As we look at Philippians this morning, there are three things or three areas in particular that I believe we can draw from the Scripture that can offer us hope and offer us encouragement. The first one is this, that walking with Jesus, building a relationship with Him, actually serves as the best antidote to the imposter syndrome. Now, that, that phrase, imposter syndrome, it was actually first used in a psychological journal in 1978 by Susan Ames and Pauline Clance as they were describing what they believed was, was a, a phenomenon happening in 20-somethings in and young professionals in the 50s and 60s and 70s. See, those young professionals, they, they felt like as they entered the workplace, they didn't measure up. They weren't quite good enough to, to meet the expectations of everyone around them. And so they felt like they had to fake it until they made it, just perform or be an imposter, so to speak. And that phrase, fake it till you make it, that was actually a phrase that was used to describe the, the basic sentiment of that era. It was actually first used in pop culture in 1968 by the band Simon and Garfunkel in their song, Faking It, where, where Simon sang, I'm not really making it. I'm just faking it. 
And the truth is, is that a lot of us probably feel that way at one point or another, where we feel like we have to fake it until we make it. We have to put on a show or put on a performance just to measure up to the expectations of other people around us. If that's you, know that you're not alone. For me, I remember when I was 25 years old and I was asked to perform a funeral for the first time. I was brand new to being married. I've been married for all of three months. I was in a new job on staff at a church for three weeks, just graduated from seminary, and it was my turn up to do a a funeral. And so I met with this family whose mother, whose matriarch, excuse me, grandmother, 88 years old. And they shared with me their, their stories of how she made an impact on them. As they started sobbing, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, who am I to be able to pour into them? I don't know if I can really give them comfort or hope. And so in that moment, I prayed and I asked God to give me the right words to encourage them, to fill them with hope. Now, truth be told, since then, I've lived a lot of life. I've, I've experienced a lot more of grief and suffering in that moment, God used me to be able to encourage them. But even now, there are moments that I still feel like I'm not quite measuring up. Would it surprise you to believe that Billy Graham, the late, great Billy Graham, who preached revivals in front of hundreds of thousands of people and through his lifetime led hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to faith in Jesus, he also felt that way. He actually says early in his ministry, because he had a stuttering problem and and because there were other preachers that were much more gifted than he was, he didn't feel like he measured up or he would be able to really perform like other pastors did. So before each sermon he prepared, even up to the last sermon, he would spend hours in prayer asking God to be able to speak through him and speak in spite of him. He would also go out into a field and practice his sermons not in front of people, but in empty fields in the backwoods of North Carolina filled with nothing but tree stumps. He found that he could lean into God and use that to trust him. Just like I found as I prayed that moment, I found incredible peace that God would walk with me. Paul shares in our passage that he wanted to be found in Jesus not having a righteousness of his own that came from the law, not something that he did himself, but that which came through Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. See, Paul knew it didn't matter what he did. It didn't matter how many times he made mistakes or or how many times he felt like he didn't measure up or he wasn't good enough. Because of what Jesus did through the cross, he had a sure footing. Paul actually put it this way in another passage in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to take on the full weight of all of our inadequacies, of all of our shortcomings, of all of those things that we feel like inside of us aren't good enough, and then exchanged that with his perfect life through the cross so that we can find a sure footing there in an identity rooted in what Jesus did, not an identity rooted in any of our feelings or us not feeling good enough. And all we have to do is simply point to that reality, what Jesus did through the cross, to be the answer to our feelings of inadequacy or our feelings of that imposter syndrome creeping up inside of us. And we can let that be our gain and everything else be a loss.
There's a second thing that I want to pull from the Scripture, and that is this, that just as we walk with God and, and remember that in doing so, that, that it's because of more what He does than because of what we can do, we can find an identity that's rooted in the power of God. We can also find an identity that's rooted in the power of God. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of His resurrection. That same God that created everything around us that we can see, that we can experience, that same God that calls things from darkness into life or death to light, that God is alive in us anytime that we say yes to Him and He's continually renewing our soul. It doesn't matter. You know, we, we all make mistakes. We all have shortcomings. But those things don't have to define who we are. Instead, we can be defined by the power of God at work in our lives through what Jesus did in and through the cross. Some of you may know that I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist. And actually, that, that may be an understatement. Some people say that the glass is half empty. Other people say the glass is half full. I typically think of the glass as, as overflowing. And that typically comes back to, to be a, a personality flaw because I'm overly trusting of other people. And so a few years ago, I was asked to lead a, a, an event. It was an outreach event for my church that I was serving at. I planned a, a great outreach at a local park. We actually had several bands that were lined up. I had a guest speaker that was going to come and share the gospel message. And as I was planning this event, I wanted to make sure there would be enough power for the bands to play and perform. And so I called the, the park's manager for that city just to make sure that, that there would be enough power. He assured me countless times as I called him again and again just to make sure that there were outlets in several places. He told me where those were. He told me there was more than enough power. And so naively, I took him at face value. The day of the event came. We started plugging equipment in, and nothing worked. So frantically, I tried to plug things into different outlets everywhere I could find it. Actually, wasn't working. I was lucky that, that none of the fuses blew or none of the equipment broke because there just wasn't enough amperage in the lines. So I called a friend who worked in the construction business. Within 30 minutes, he was able to bring two generators on site. We got everything back up and running, and we had a great night. A lot of people heard the gospel and responded. It was a good thing. One thing I learned from that event was this. Without power, nothing works. Without the power of God in our lives, it doesn't matter what we do or how much we try to perform on our own. God's power through Jesus' work on the cross, though, is more than enough to cover over all of our failures or shortcomings or inadequacies. And that power is available to all of us at any moment's notice. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord who are saved, and His mercies are new every morning. His grace is available to us. All we have to do is just say yes to Him or say, Lord, I need you, like that song that we sang just a couple of moments ago. Well, my children, my children have gotten into a, a new book series called Dog Man. If any of you are, are, are young parents, you've probably read the book series Dog Man. If you're not familiar with that, it's a, a book series, about 10 books or so, with this, this half-dog, half-man hero who goes and saves his city from destruction again and again and again. And, and another one of the main characters in the story beyond this dog man is this child of a villain who's named Little Petey. 
Little Petey ends up being another hero in the story. Little Petey himself is quite the optimist. He looks at everyone around him, and, and as he sees the city moving towards destruction, even these villains, he believes are redeemable. There is no character who's too far gone or too far lost. For Little Petey, it doesn't matter if, if one page before or even just a couple of pages back, this person was plotting tremendous evil. What mattered was what that individual chose in this moment. That individual could choose a different path, that they didn't have to be defined by whatever their past was. What I find is incredible is that the way these authors define little Petey, whether they intended to do so or not, sounds a lot like with how the Bible describes Jesus speaking to you and to me. Because the truth is, is that Jesus stands before us and says, it doesn't matter what mistakes or failures you have. It doesn't matter what's in your past. What matters is what you do with the cross. And you can find power to overcome anything. Even now, some of you might feel like you're not good enough. Some of you might feel like you, 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 you have circumstances that are too great to deal with. Maybe you feel down or discouraged. Maybe you even feel like there's something from your past that precludes you from really being able to find peace with God. The truth is, is that God's power is enough to cover over those things. God's power through what Jesus did in and through the cross, just like it was enough to cover over that, that feeling of not being good enough, that inadequacy that comes from the imposter syndrome, what Jesus did through the cross is enough to overcome every sin, every struggle. And more than that, what Jesus did through the cross gives us the power to victoriously defeat sin and hell and the grave. We can find freedom as we look to the cross and look to find hope in him, no matter what our past looks like. And not only that, when we say yes to Jesus, I love how, how Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we as Christians get to automatically in that moment become agents of reconciliation, act like little Petey did for other people, reminding them that they can find hope and faith in and through the very cross that we found hope in. We have the opportunity to invite other people to experience that same hope and same faith. We can become difference makers for other people as well. There's one more thing that I want to look at from our passage that I believe can offer us a sense of hope or encouragement, and that is, that's related to this idea of suffering. You know, the book of Philippians is a book that, that is largely about joy and and. If you read anything about Philippians, you've probably heard that, that it's a book that has the word joy in it more than any other book in the New Testament. I believe that it is a book of joy because Paul experienced great suffering. Not only that, but Paul invited God into the suffering with him. God wanted to walk with him in that suffering, and so it was because of that that he experienced great joy. And so as he wrote these words, I believe he wants us to know that we too can know that God wants to walk with us in the middle of our struggles and in the middle of our suffering because he cares deeply about us. You know, Paul said in Philippians 3.10, we just wrote, read a moment ago, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. A few weeks ago, just literally a few weeks ago, a friend of mine came up to me. He shrugged his shoulders, took a deep breath, and said, I guess, I guess I'm in the grief club now. 
And then he went on to unpack that a little bit. See, a few weeks before, his dad had just passed away. And he'd always known prior to that point what it was like, he thought he knew what it was like when, when someone lost a loved one. But this was the first time he lost someone really close to him. And all of a sudden, instead of just having empathy or concern for other people when they lost someone close to them, he was filled with a new sense of compassion, overwhelming concern for other people because he knew how deeply the wounds went when someone that he loved was gone. And so it formed this new sort of club for him where he was deeply filled with compassion for other people. Paul said that he wanted to know the fellowship of sufferings. He wanted to be part of of this kind of club where he got to experience suffering as Jesus did. You know, as you look through the New Testament, you can see Jesus suffered incredibly for us. Jesus walked the earth. The Bible even says in in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus experienced all of life, just like we have, including suffering. And he, as he did so, he did so for us. Paul didn't want to simply be a bystander. Like my friend had been before he experienced that level of grief, Paul actually wanted to be a part of the Jesus Club to know at a deep level what it meant to experience suffering and pain, knowing that that suffering and pain was ultimately for other people. Jesus died on the cross so that other people could experience hope, and Paul wanted to experience that level of suffering so that it would produce in him compassion that would spill out, it would impact other people and encourage them to find hope through the cross. A few years ago, uh, when I was in seminary, one of my professors was diagnosed with terminal cancer. As his doctors gave him the news, they told him they didn't think there was a whole lot that, he could, that they could do. They were going to try chemo, but they weren't sure there was, there was much more to his life here on earth. As he shared that news with, with myself and my classmates on, on campus at, at Baylor University, the first thing that I thought I would do is that I wanted to rally the students together to pray and intercede for my friend, for my professor, for my mentor, Dr. Conyers, to ask God to intervene and maybe God would bring healing. And so I, I, I rallied my friends on campus at Baylor. We, we gathered around him. We prayed for him. There's nothing wrong with that. Certainly praying for healing is a good thing. My professor, he actually pulled me aside after we were done while he thanked me for that. He shared with me that God had been speaking to him. He said that that death as well as life were part of this sin-shattered world that we live in. In spite of those things, he knew that God had walked with him. He was proud of the fact that he'd built his entire life on walking with God. And so there might have been moments where, where he struggled from time to time And he looked back at his journals over the years, and he could see how in those moments, God had walked with him and carried him through those difficult circumstances. So even in his present moment, when he felt down and discouraged, he could look back at where God was an anchor and God was a source of strength for him. Certainly, he had cancer, and he was filled with physical suffering in his body. But because he knew that God had walked with him in the past, he was more excited than ever to see Jesus face to face one day. And so everywhere he went, whether it was going to Houston for cancer treatments at MD Anderson, whether it was going to his doctor's office in Waco, whether it was going to the grocery store 
It was very evident that he was suffering, that he had you know, his, his cancer port for chemo or his, his port for chemo on him. He looked weak. People would ask how he was doing. He had a big smile on his face when they asked that. And as he would share with them that he found incredible hope in walking with God in spite of his present circumstances because he knew his Savior loved him so much. And other people could know that love as well. See, that, that, that suffering that he had within him, it, it produced this overwhelming sense of compassion for other people because he wanted them to know and experience the same love that he had known and he'd built his life around. When I think of what it means to leave, to, to leave and lead a life of legacy, I think of Chip Conyers, who embodied Philippians 3, 7 through 11, as he not only knew Jesus, and knew the power of his resurrection, but knew fellowship of suffering with God that produced in him a sense of compassion for other people, so much so that he didn't care about making himself great. He actually wanted to step out of the spotlight and put God in the spotlight so that other people would know that there was hope and nothing greater than walking with Jesus. I personally want to know Jesus I want to know the power that comes from walking with him, and I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, knowing that that will produce in me being a part of Jesus' club. I am so convinced that nothing else matters, that we can find greater hope nowhere else than a part of Jesus' club. I want to encourage you this week, as, as you think back at your life, you look at your life goals, you look at it, all of your accomplishments, if you feel like your life doesn't measure up, remember Philippians 3. Remember that you can be a part of the Jesus Club and make your life count for something more. Let's stand and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.